First Corinthians chapter 2. Boy, after that good meal today, uh, normally we just get cold cuts, but we had some delicious pot roast, and that was good. That's my favorite. And uh, some, uh, some meatball subs, and boy, it was, it was so good. If you put it on top of your head, your tongue would have slapped you silly trying to get to it. And uh, it was delicious. Had a good time of fellowship, and certainly a joy to be together again this afternoon. And hopefully we can stay awake this afternoon after having, after having a nice full stomach and uh, the weather is so nice we haven't had to uh, do a whole lot for cooling and heating, but it's kind of a good temperature and we've got our bellies full, so hopefully everybody will stay awake, amen? We'll have to intentionally incline our hearts to it, okay? <laughs> so, all right, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, we'll begin reading... Uh, Tell you what, let's let's begin reading in. Um, let's go in verse number twelve, and we'll move into where we're going to go. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? For who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom we believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message and speak to our hearts. I pray that you will allow your Holy Spirit to do its work. And Father, I pray that you'd help us at the onset of this service to purpose in our hearts, to make our decision that if you will show us your truth from your word, that we will go ahead and commit at the onset to walk in it, that our answer will already be yes. And I pray that you would help us to incline our hearts, as we preached about earlier this morning, to the truth of your word. And not just to hear it, but to take heed to it, to put it into practice in our lives. Lord, may there be some teaching today that will instruct us in the way we ought to be. And then, Father, that there would be the convicting and leading of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And I pray that you would help us to be yielded to that, to be sensitive to that direction. And, Father, that we would do as you lead and direct us to do, according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and this church in particular had a lot of problems going on. In fact, there's two different letters we have to them in our Bible, and both of them are dealing with issues that Paul had uh, with the church corrective issues. And we get to the first part of this first letter in chapter number uh, 2, he begins to speak about some things, and he speaks about the importance, in verse number 11, uh, that the Spirit of God be the one that uh, help us to, helps us to know 
the things of the Lord. And he deals with that subject down through verse number 14. And he makes this conclusion in verse number 14 as he says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now the Bible is very clear in teaching us that when we get saved, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ comes into us and the Holy Spirit begins to reside in our hearts and He makes alive something that used to be dead. And uh, there's something new. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And Paul is referring to this as he deals with these matters of spiritual significance, the matters that are of critical importance and ought to be of critical importance to you and I as Christians. Because we find in these spiritual matters the heart of God. What His desire is for you and I as His people uh, to, as far as our uh, conduct, as far as our way of living, as far as our uh, affections and our love for things. And He directs us in all things. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 3, He says, Trust in the Lord, in verse number 5, with all, in all, with all thy heart, and lean unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And in every area of our life, we have a choice to make. And the choice is a very simple choice. And it is the choice that determines whether we have victory in the Christian life or whether we live a defeated Christian life. And the choice is this, my way or God's way. And that is really the whole secret to the Christian life. You can preach all the time about having victory in the Christian life and how to grow in the Christian life, but ultimately the Christian life is about one choice, and that is the choice between my will and God's will. So Paul is addressing this. The church at Corinth is struggling in this area. And he talks about three different types of people. We're going to look at them. I've preached on this before and taught on this before. I want us to take a look at some things here. The first one we find here in verse number 14, he talks about the natural man. This would be the man who has not been saved yet. He's uh, in his natural born condition, which is a condition of being lost and the fact that he is not saved. And the Bible says some things about this. It says that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, and he can't quite understand the things that you and I as God's people are led in and taught in as far as our day-to-day living with, by the Lord Jesus Christ or by His Holy Spirit. Understand that the only thing that the natural man understands from the Holy Spirit is the conviction of his sinful condition and the need to be saved. Other than that, they don't understand spiritual matters. They don't understand what needs to take place in their life. We're going to look a little bit further in that in just a few moments. But he says, "...the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God." For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Without the Holy Spirit inside of them, they do not have the discernment. That's why a world can look at some things and say that the things that are good are bad, and the things that are bad are good. That's how the world and the society can develop into that. They lack discernment from the Holy Spirit of God. Now we find a second person here that's also found at the latter end of verse 14 and into verse number 15. He says, Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, only people that 
have the Holy Spirit of God in them can discern them. In verse number 15, he goes on to say, He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. And so we find here now what the Bible refers to, Paul refers to here as the spiritual man. Now the spiritual man is a man who has trusted Christ as his Savior. He has the Holy Spirit working in his heart and leading him and helping him to have discernment. And this is a man who gets saved and has the Holy Spirit of God living in him and is following and yielding himself to the leading of the Holy Spirit and begins to what the Bible refers to as walking in the Spirit. He no longer walks after the law of sin and death, but he now walks in the Spirit. And then we find, as we get into the first part of chapter number 3, and understand that the chapter divisions were not there when Paul wrote this. This was just a letter. And so it continues on from chapter 2 into chapter 3 and says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. And here we find the third type of person. The third type of person is a person who has trusted Christ as their Savior, but rather than choosing to be crucified in the flesh and allow his flesh to be crucified, he still walks after the law of sin and death. His life bearing out the carnality of worldly living, even though his faith has been placed in the Son of God. So we have three types of people, and you can pretty much take everybody in the world and place them into one of these three categories. Uh, ultimately, there's two, saved and unsaved, but inside the saved category, you have those that are spiritual, that are longing to follow after the Spirit, and you have those that are carnal. They're not unsaved. They don't lose their salvation. Amen? We're thankful we don't lose our salvation when we mess up and we sin. Right? We understand that? We dealt with that last Sunday in the book of Hebrews, and the fact that Christ is the surety. He's the guarantor of the New Testament. He's the one that co-signs. He's the one that says, put that on my account. He's the one that's standing there ever making intercession for us and is our advocate before the Father. And so we understand we don't lose our salvation, but it is possible for a Christian to get to a place of carnality and walking after the law of sin and death. Now he talks about this in verse number 2, and he equates the carnal to those that are babes in Christ who don't handle the meat of the word. We talked about that in this morning's message just slightly. But he says that these carnal folks are those that have need to be fed with the milk of the word and not with the meat because they're not able to bear the meat of the word. And he goes on to say, verse number 3, For ye are carnal, whereas there is among you. Now, he's going to list here a few things, and we're going to take a look in Galatians chapter 5 in just a moment at some additional things here. But I want us to look at these three categories uh, that, uh, that, God, uh, that Paul gives here. We have the lost man, the natural man. We have the saved man who's following after or walking in the Spirit. And then we have the saved man who is walking after the law of sin and death known as the carnal man. Now, we're in one of those three categories. Everybody sitting here today is in one of those three categories. I have no idea what category you're in. It's hard enough for me to tell what category I'm in. Because the Bible says that I can't even know my own heart the way that God knows it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Only Christ, the Bible says, is He. God is the one that searcheth and trieth the reins of the heart. He's the only one that can see it. He's the only one that knows it. And He knows it better than I know it. So we get to this place, and we're going to be in one of these three categories, but I want us to look at what 
makes the difference between a carnal Christian and a spiritual Christian. Can we do that this morning, this afternoon? And I'm getting in the morning spirit again. We'll just go all day. We'll get another service after this. Amen. I'm glad. I'm so glad that I found in Acts where Paul was long-winded. I, man, that allows me to just keep on going. Amen, Miss Evelyn. We'll go to about 3 o'clock this afternoon. Is that sound? Because <laughs> we're sleeping. Uh, verse number 3. For we are, for are carnal, whereas... Now notice these. There is among you... Now these are some things that characterize... It's not an exhaustive list, but these are some things that characterize carnal... Christians, those that are saved but are living after the law of sin and death. They're not led by the Spirit. Now notice this. Envying, envying, strife, and divisions. And Paul said when these things are present in a Christian's life, that you can mark it down, this is not of the Spirit. These are things of the world. Take your Bibles, hold your place here for just a moment. We're going to come back to it in just a minute. Turn with me to the book of James again. The book of James. Look with me in chapter number 4. James chapter number 4. I'm going to back up to verse 17 of chapter 3 and kind of lead in. Let's back up to verse 15. This wisdom, speaking of... um, Let's back up just a minute. Let's go back over to... I'm going to back up to verse number 10 of chapter 3, and then we're going to move into it, okay? Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, does that sound familiar? Bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is what? Earthly, sensual, and what? And devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every what? Evil work. But wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The fruit of of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now notice this about what it said in verse number 17. The idea here that this wisdom that's from above, the wisdom that God gives us from His Holy Spirit, is dealing with peaceableness, it's dealing with gentleness, amen, easy to be entreated, full of mercy. I wonder why there would be this statement, full of mercy. Do you think that Christians ought to be full of mercy? Uh, Why should we be full of mercy? Perhaps because God gave us mercy? I got to thinking about this this last week. I've, I've preached on mercy and grace before. And the idea that they're exact opposites. Uh, mercy, of course, is not getting what we deserve. Right? We deserve death and hell for our sinful condition. And we don't get it. Whereas God's grace is getting something we don't deserve. We certainly don't deserve heaven. 
We don't deserve to live for eternity with him in a place called heaven. And that's his grace. But, you, you know, I got to thinking on this this week. You know the greatest grace that God gave us was his mercy? Because we do not deserve the mercy of God. He gave us his mercy. He gave us something we didn't deserve. And that something that he gave us was something that forgives us for the things we do deserve. That's an amazing thought. The greatest grace that God gave was giving us his mercy. I'm glad we get to go to heaven, aren't you? I'm glad we get to spend eternity with him, don't you? But do you know the greatest part of grace was the fact that he showed me mercy? He gave it to me when I did not deserve it. Now we find, as we get back to chapter number uh, 2 of the 1 Corinthians, that this, uh, this uh, carnal man is one who has envying and strife and divisions. And he says, are ye not carnal? Now take a moment and let's look over to Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. And we're going to be dealing with verse number 16 and following. We'll spend probably the rest of our time in here and looking at a few things. Paul says to the Galatian church, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other. Now, now look right up here for just a second and understand this. The Bible speaks of the flesh, and we can call this our natural man, our old man, whichever one you want to use. We can use um, the, uh, the, the term that was used in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is the natural man. And the lust of the flesh, the lust of this old man, the desires, the affections of this old man, the Bible says here are contrary to the things of the Spirit. They are diametrically opposed. They are polar opposites. When I was a kid... I used to love to play with magnets. I remember the first time my dad uh, bought a little pack of magnets and brought home to me. And I was just a little fella. And, and just the wonderment at this invisible power that caused these things to pull together. But if you turned them the wrong way, they didn't pull together. They would do what? They'd kind of shoot apart, wouldn't they? And I used to take them and I'd smash them together real hard. And then I'd let them go and they'd flip real high and, and, and flip over and attach to each other and different things. And I, I thought of that as I thought of the... The conflict and, the, and the, the opposition there is between the things of the flesh and the things of the Spirit. They cannot, notice this, they cannot coexist. The Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And if the flesh is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit is contrary to the flesh, they cannot coexist there's not something that we can look at and say we can have one foot in the world and still walk in the Spirit and be led by the Holy Spirit of God. We will do either one or the other. And the battle in our lives is that constant choice. My way or God's way. So he goes on to say in verse number 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. The spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things you would. But if you be led, by the way, that, that, that seems to be the struggle, isn't it? Paul said, the things I know I should do, those I don't do. And the things I know I shouldn't do, those are the ones I find myself doing. 
Anybody else battle like Paul did? I, I think we all say that. We all know that in our lives. But, notice verse 18. If ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. He's going to give another list here, dealing with fleshly things. He says adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and up to this point we look at it and say, well, those are some pretty bad things in that list, don't we? I don't have to worry about those, brother. I'll tell you, I don't murder anybody. I'm not walking after the flesh. But he adds this to it. And such like. Things that are similar to this. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This fleshly nature, this carnality, the works of the flesh. This envying and strife, the wrath, the seditions, the heresies, the variances. But notice this, as he says, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Now notice a couple things here, and then we're going to be done. This is called the fruit of the Spirit. And so often we look at this as a list of things, and we say, okay, at some point in my life, I'm going to have one of these come in, and maybe it's love, and I'm going to focus on love today. Maybe tomorrow I'm going through a discouraging time, I'm going to focus on joy. Maybe I have a heartache in my life a week or so down the road. And I say, okay, today I want to have peace. Can I tell you this, that all of this is the fruit of the Spirit. Now watch this for a moment. This is not the fruit of a Christian who has the Holy Spirit in him. You understand that? This is the fruit of the Spirit that is in us. Whose fruit is it? Mine or his? His. When He comes to reside in me, I'm thankful that there is a transforming work that He does in my life. I'm not, a, I'm not the natural man anymore. Something's been made alive. It's been made new. In fact, when we baptize folks, and this is a, a biblical uh, principle and phrase, we, we say many times, buried uh, with Him in baptism, rising to walk in what? Newness of life. Why are we saying that? Because I used to be dead to the Spirit, and alive unto sin. But when I got saved, I now am supposed to become dead to sin and alive unto Christ. And now my life is not to follow after the things of the flesh, but my life is to now follow after the things of the Spirit. I'm now to have the fruit of the Spirit revealed in my life. These are not things that we put on outwardly. And while these things will lead to our standards 
And these things will lead us to dress codes. And we were talking about dress codes a moment ago down at lunch. It's so much more than that. It's a heart that God deals with. I fear so often that we miss the boat on this as we teach on the fruit of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, that we look at this as something that we externally put on, like a cloak or a jacket. That I'll take this one and I'll put it on today, and I'll take this one and put it on today. No, no, these are things that ought be inwardly, that have no, they, they can't help but just be portrayed outwardly. One of the great problems that there was with the Pharisees, and in fact, the Pharisees were for the most part, at the time that Christ came on the scene, looked up to. They were the religious leaders. The people of the, the Jewish folks would look to the Pharisees and say these are folks that live a very clean and a very pure life. And if you look at the way Christ deals with them, even Christ commends them for their outward condition, doesn't he? He says, outwardly you are clean. I have no condemnation for you as far as your outside. What was Christ's problem with the Pharisees? He said, inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones. And the problem I feel that many times we face that leads us to a life of what we would call a carnal Christian is that we attempt to put on outwardly the fruit of the Spirit without yielding to Him inwardly. We attempt in our own strength and our own power to live a life that is pleasing to others. And that's the problem. We're not supposed to be living a life pleasing to others. Who are we supposed to be living a life pleasing to? Christ. And after all, he sees this right here. You know, I can fool a lot of people by how I live my life. But do you know one person I can never fool? can never fool him, can I? You see, we, we take the Scripture that deals with the fact that man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. We take that verse and we try to twist it in some way to justify us living however we want to outwardly. And we say something like this, well, God knows my heart. So it really doesn't matter what the outside is. No, 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 no. That's not what Christ was getting. That's not what God was getting at in that verse. God was saying no matter how well we look outwardly, God knows our heart. He said, how do you know that? Because that verse was used when Samuel was trying to find the next king of Israel. You remember that? And what did he see? He saw the eldest of Jesse. Boy, strong, strapping fellow. Samuel said, must be him. No, no, no. That man looked good outwardly, didn't he? But God knew his heart. We can look good outwardly. We can set standards. And we can say, okay, you have to have a skirt that's two inches above your knee, Miss Pam. Or whatever it is. Can't be. You can set those. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to set those in certain circumstances. If you have a school, you have to have a standard somewhere. You have to set it somewhere. And I understand that. But sometimes we get to the point where we set out, outside things and external things. And we never deal with this. And we end up Christianizing a lot of 
carnal and lost people. And we put a shell on them to make them look good, and they clean up well, don't they? Why don't we rather preach the whole gospel of God, the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept? Why don't we teach people about walking in the Spirit and let the Holy Spirit of God work something in the heart that cannot help but come outward? Amen? It's His fruit, not mine. By the way, it's not the pastor's fruit. It's not the church's fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. I understand there ought to be standards and we ought to teach about coming out and and being separate, but it ought to stem from a heart that is already consecrated and yielded to walking in the Spirit. So he goes on to say in verse number 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. Now notice this, verse 24, and I believe this is the secret of it. And they that are Christ's have crucified the what? The flesh. The carnality. We're not to be saved and living after the flesh. We're to be saved and walking in the Spirit. Yielded to Him, submissive to Him. Guided by Him. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, which we claim that we do. The Bible says if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? It means in every aspect of my life, I'm seeking for His leading. That's going to control my calendar, my priorities as far as my time is concerned. The Holy Spirit has absolute say in it. Or He ought to. Amen? My resources, what God has entrusted me, is up to him to decide. My service for God is not mine to determine, but his. Where and how I serve him is not for me to decide. Every aspect of our lives are to be wrapped around this thing of being led by the Holy Spirit of God. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We're going to fit in one of those three categories. Looking around the room, I I think pretty much everybody here that I know of has given testimony of the fact that they have trusted Christ as their Savior. So if that is the case, there's only two categories left. And every single one of us fit into one of those two. Now, it's very tempting for us to sit here and say, boy, so-and-so needed that message today. (laughs) Isn't it? 
you understand that the worst sins there are are the sins that somebody else has. They're never mine, right? That's, that's what we think, is it not? Would you agree with me on that? That's what we feel. My sins are not all that bad, Pastor. But boy, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, boy, they've really got some. I'm going to ask you this morning or this afternoon, we're in one of those two categories. I want you for the next moment to take your mind and build a wall around you. Look at your life and say, which category am I in? Which one am I? Am I following after the things of this world? Am I loving those things? Are those the things that my appetites gravitate toward? Or am I submitted and yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, moment by moment by moment? Because I don't want to just do outwardly things that please God. I want to be inwardly what will please God. God help us not to outwardly try to put on some kind of a conduct that fools a lot of people. But as God looks at the heart, He shakes His head with disappointment and sadness, saying outwardly you're clean but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. By the way, I think if God's people would get a hold of this truth and begin to walk as they are led by the Holy Spirit of God, there would be no limit to what God could do in their lives. Somebody told D.L. Moody years ago, the world has yet to see what a man fully yielded to God can do. D.L. Moody never forgot that. Later he said, by the grace of God, I'll be that man. D.L. Moody in no way was perfect, but God used him in a mighty way. I wonder what God could do with Keith the Heights Baptist Church if every person here said the most important thing that I want in my life is for me inwardly to be yielded to and walk after the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit as He leads and as He guides and as He directs. We're going to have an invitation here. And I want us to, for the few moments that we have invitation, I want us to do this. And I promise you, this is not something that if you respond to the invitation, people are going to look at you and be like, boy, they must really be struggling with fleshly things. No, no, that's... We ought to rejoice when people say, you know what, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. Amen? It ought not be something we look at judgmentally at each other. Because the truth of the matter is, this is a battle we all face all, all the time. But can we do this this morning or this afternoon as we have the invitation time? Can we take a few moments and kind of partition ourselves away from everything else? Don't look at somebody else. Don't try to justify well, I'm doing this, but God understands. Let's, let's not justify, okay? Let's, just, let's look at this from a scriptural and a biblical perspective. Which category do I rest in? Which one am I walking in? Because it really is that simple.
It's either my will or His will. And it does not matter outwardly what we're doing. And I don't mean to discount that there's nothing to be said for the outward appearance. But what matters far greater than that in comparison is this. Inwardly, am I walking in the Spirit? Or am I walking after the law of sin and death? I want us to ask that this morning of ourselves. Can we do that? Let's stand together, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, um, I wish it could be said this morning, this afternoon, that this is something that we deal with once in our life and, and then we don't have to worry with it ever again. But Lord, the truth of the matter is there's going to be a constant battle for our hearts. There's going to be a constant warfare that's taking place that is trying to draw us from walking in the Spirit. And Lord, the sad fact of the matter is in the day we live today, even Christians far, far too often succumb to it. Far, far too often we become enamored with the things of this world or we grow tired of the labor of battling this desire between our will and Your will. Father, I pray that You would strengthen us in character and in faith. That You would help us not to just name the name of Christ and to outwardly attempt to be something, but Father, that You would allow our hearts to be drawn to have a love for You in such a way that we long to be yielded to Your Holy Spirit in our lives, in every aspect, inwardly first. And then, Father, that it would overflow in us so much that it would just be a part of what comes on the outside. And, Father, while these things will lead to standards and dress codes and convictions, the life that You've called us to live is far more than just a series of outward things. It's all about what we are inwardly. Father, I pray that You would bless in this, this message. It's a very difficult message in that it's something that we need to realize is a constant, constant thing that we must be aware of and regularly evaluate and re-yield ourselves to You afresh and anew. I pray that You'll bless the invitation. And Lord, may we for the next few moments not think of others but that we would just look at our own hearts. That we would ask Your Holy Spirit to illuminate us and to show us the areas in our lives that perhaps need working on. Help us to be yielded to the leading of Your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed as the piano and organ begin to play. Perhaps God